who's getting the best deals. And whether you're buying a house or you're buying a farm. G'day and welcome back to the Farms Advice podcast. Thank you for joining us for another cracking episode. And this is on the financial mini series. We'll see how long we can drag it out for. Just like everything in farming, it goes for a bit longer than you always wish for. But these are some great pieces of content coming across. And today is a cracker with Elisa Herman. She's actually started her own finance brokerage. And the way that she sort of came across on the episode, I really like how we can make this engaging sort of content, um, finding out some loopholes to see what you can do, but just know that both myself and Elisa, we do not know your own circumstances. So make sure you contact your own professionals within your team, your farm advisors. If not, give a shout out to Lisa for giving up her time for the episode. Um, We love her for passing on her own expertise, but also for helping you out there that can't always reach the people that you need at the time that you need. So this is why the podcast was started. Um, And this is why I'm editing at half past 10 at night on a Monday for you guys to get this episode on a Tuesday morning. I'm going away very soon, so we'll be having scheduled episodes in, but the financial series continues. Um, thank you so much to help support the podcast. Just click subscribe, like, comment, and subscribe, as they say. Um, but until then, let's get into this episode. Subscribe now. Let's kick it off. Elisa Herman, thank you so much for coming on to the Farms Wise podcast and piecing together this episode and leaning towards financials, helping farmers coming into Christmas time. Bit of a little reminder maybe for what's coming up and also the approach of what the current climate within Australian mm. agriculture and East Coast drying out and probably all of Australia a little bit for the lucky ones that um, haven't quite dried out yet. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Jack, for having me on. I um, This is my first podcast as being um, a guest so I'm really pleased to be here but also slightly nervous as a guest so you've been the interviewer no to be honest I haven't been either so no I sh- yep no no definitely no interviewing for me either yet I'm not at that stage nothing to be worried about you'll <laughs> nail it um so just as we do on the interviews to start it out find out a bit about yourself your background connection and how you landed in the role that you are today yeah sure so um I am originally from farming country. Um, my parents had the family farm um, in northern New South Wales between North Star and Yetman. It's also known as the Golden Triangle of farming. Yep. Um, that country around there, Gundawindi was our closest town. So my family still farm that country. Um, my dad's brothers um, do. And my family is around Gundawindi on farming country. So I grew up on a mixed um, cattle cropping and irrigation property up there. And, um, you know, did the boarding school thing as you do and went away to uni, studied agribusiness, didn't know it was a thing until I got to uni and then joined banking and and, uh, spent 20 years working in finance, mostly with primary producers all through that period. So um, didn't get the opportunity to go home to a family, uh, like to the family farm. But uh, I knew I would never get that opportunity, but also love the people and love what they're trying to achieve. So I just wanted, I found that ability to be able to tie it all together through finance. A great foundation. It's pretty exciting to be within finance, but in agriculture as well, because it can help scale people out and grow their sort of, their objectives and their business. Yeah, I think 
coming from a farm, I get the like your day is never the same. Your day is never what you plan it to be. There's always things that go wrong. And I just love, I guess, being from a farm, you also manage to patch things together. Like they can fix anything. Um, and yeah, it, being able to go on that journey with people and see them and bring their families into it and the next generation and buy that next farm is incredibly rewarding. Um, yeah, I do. I do really enjoy it. So talk to me about your current role, your business. What's yeah. it called and what is it? Yeah, sure. Golden Triangle Group. Um, so we're a rural finance broking firm. So uh, I worked with Westpac for about 10 years, NAB for about nine years and loved it, but just um, ran out of ability to um, toe the corporate line, I guess. And you couldn't have real conversations with clients when you worked for a bank because your shareholders are your boss. Yeah. Um, and left banking around four or five years ago and was wondering how am I going to be able to tie all this finance knowledge and, uh, you know, these connections and networks that I've got. And I went into what's called finance broking. So it's relatively new in agriculture to be a finance broker. Um, so clients are still understanding what it actually is. But essentially what we do is we are the conduit between a bank and a primary producer. So we work for the primary producer by finding them the best interest rates, whether they're buying a piece of machinery or another farm or buying a house in town. We sort of cover all of their finance needs. We can work with lots of different banks. Around 18, I was working for an accounting firm and around 18 months ago, I bought my book from the finance accounting, uh, from the accounting firm and we rebranded as Golden Triangle Group. And we're based in Emerald in central Queensland and we've got clients from Southern New South Wales to Western Australia. So distance isn't an issue. It's all done mostly electronically. Obviously, I've just finished with a farming family in the office this morning, um, but we hold everything on file and just do everything over the phones and emails these days. Um, so, yeah, we've Golden Triangle Group has two offices. We've got one in Emerald and one in Toowoomba, and that's sort of where we are today. We uh, cover a really broad range of industries, um, irrigated, cropping, and we've got some citrus producers, lots of Wagyu producers, um, yeah, beef cattle. So it's been um, a roller coaster because now I'm not just an employee, I'm a business owner, and that is a huge difference and a big change. And, um, you know, you think you know it all until you're given the keys to the kingdom and you realise you don't. Um, yeah, so that's where we've come to be now. It's the way of the world, moving online and being able to have your clients in WA, that's pretty cool. But also yeah. to see the grand landscape of what Australian agriculture is from citrus to Wagyu um, and to everything in between what's going on. It's very exciting to sort of play a role within that. When farmers do like reach out to you, what are their, what are the common questions? Are they, they're struggling yeah. to get the most out of their banks or they're looking to. A couple of things. Um, they're coming to us because they know that they, they are, they're really time poor and yeah. often it's probably a little bit stereotypical, but it's a husband and wife in the business, the farming business, and one of them is in charge of doing the book work. Generally, there's one person that does all the book work and manages all of that, and um, they potentially know they're not getting the best deal from their bank but don't have the capacity to take on a project like moving banks or negotiating. They don't know if they're getting a good deal. They're like, yeah, my bank says they're going to drop my margin by 10 points. Is that a good deal? Yeah. And I'm like, well, let's have a look at the whole picture and then I can give you a really educated outcome. Um, so there's a there is a refinance element to it. There's a can you negotiate on our behalf? Or for example, today's um, one was we're working with clients on succession planning, and we've just had an opportunity to buy a property um, to help with that succession planning. 
you know, one, is this a good opportunity? And it's about talking with all of the family members. Do we think we actually want to do this? Then it's negotiating the purchase and then it's negotiating with the banks. So there's lots of different stages. Yeah. We work with accountants and solicitors to sort of bring it all together and sort of be that project manager to get the deal done. Uh, a lot of, I think your question was, do what do farmers ask us? And they're asking us, how much can I borrow? How can I grow? They can see their neighbour growing or they, you know, read about properties being bought and they think, how can I do that? Because we do have this succession issue coming into it where the next generation are wanting to come home or some of the generation are wanting to be bought out. Um, so it's a lot of that is happening at the moment. And then we get the usual, I need to pick up a car in town next week. We're buying it. It's finally arrived. We ordered it two years ago, sort out the finance. We don't have time to do it. Find us the best rate. And um, we have a whole team that looks after that. So it's a lot of different things, but that's probably the main thing. A few short burns and a longer burn there for the succession. Absolutely. Um, so can you actually understand the information needed prior to going to the bank um, of how much these farmers, producers can actually look to borrow? Yeah. So um, we understand all of the, the requirements from a bank in terms of yeah. what they need in order to make an assessment, cash flows, information memorandums, valuations, all of those kinds of things. Um, so that is our job to put all that together and make sure that we've dotted the I's and crossed the T's. And, um, you know, we don't put up deals that aren't going to work. That's our job is to say that's not going to work. You, the bank's not going to accept that. Um, you know, we do push back. We put some rigour into their cash flows and look at equity positions and, and that kind of have those hard discussions like we need to pace up some principle or how are we going to get through this tight cash flow period. So with, with that, is it an ongoing sort of conversation whether you should start paying interest only or in, interest and your principal? Um, is that something that they need to be thinking about, come to you to see what the best options are, especially now going into a bit of a dry time and you could be yeah. working out the market? We are having lots of conversations with people at the moment. Our clients are not sort of we set them and forget them um, because they are primary producers are always, their environment's changing, not just the, the natural environment but the market conditions or there's an opportunity to buy something or do something. So, you know, I have a family that come in, a couple of them that come in every 90 days and we sit down and redo cash flows. And the cash flow that we did at the start of the year compared to this, what we did yesterday, is significantly different. Cattle prices have tanked. It's gotten dry. We're going to start feeding our, our interest rate in the last 18 months has nearly tripled. Um, so, you know, we're certainly having some, at the moment, we're putting a lot of work into cash flows of updating. Where do we, where are our crisis points? How are we going to manage that? Do we need to get the banks on board early? Um, and where that, that person that really runs over it and just facilitates the conversation between the business partners, because often we've got a husband and wife, he thinks this, she thinks that well, let's put it up on a spreadsheet and let's see what the numbers actually tell us we can actually do here. So there is a lot of that at the moment um, happening for clients. Going off what you said, like if cash flow drops a fair bit or it increases, what's the difference in the options available there? Are you talking yep. about restricting or like not going out to expand, obviously in a yep. debt market, what's the go? So at the moment, if we've got clients that are under some cash flow pressure, which most probably are, well, compared to two years ago, it's significantly worse. Um, we're saying to them, okay, let's work out how we can better manage this in terms of, um, um, you know, are we paying our interest? Do we need to be paying that quarterly versus half yearly? What is the difference in both rate if we pay more, more frequently? But also what effect does that have on our cash flow? Some people like to pay more frequently, so it's not such big chunks to have to find in six months' time. 
And some people like, um, no, we just want to know that we've only got two big interest payments a year and that's when we sell our cattle or that's when we get our crop proceeds in and that's when we'll make that payment. Yeah. Um, we've got the option of going to the bank if there's a timing difference. Look, you know, we're selling cattle, but we can't get them booked into the feedlot, uh, into the meatworks until mid-October. We've got an interest payment due in October. Okay, well, let's talk to the bank early about covering us for that and then having those proceeds come in um, and providing that clearance source to them. So, um, you know, at the moment, we, we yesterday we did some cash flows around bull purchases. You know, we had $30,000 a bull pegged in there. They've only spent six grand on a bull this season because, you know, obviously as cattle prices have come back, bull prices are also coming back somewhat, not everywhere. Um, so that's also, that's having a good effect on our cash flow. So it's just putting all that into the mix and working out what what does this look like? Um, and it is is it as bad as we think or are we are we going to be okay? And do we need to offload early? Yeah. It's going to get drier uh, from what they're telling us. Do we take the, you know, take the hit now and get rid of those cattle and conserve that grass for down the track? Um, yeah, so those are the types of conversations that we have with the customers. So it's a bit of give and take with the bank and the relationship sort of created, but always sort of having them on the phone and um, with yourself and your team allowing producers yep. to do what they do um, out in the paddock or in their own office um, and sort of rely on your expertise. I think like for the podcast to open up for farmers to rely on quality advisors, have the best advisors in your pocket sort of working for you to get the most out of what you do as well. Yeah. So just for example, just talking about having a quality advisor, um, we did a deal recently. We put some pricing into a bank and they came back at a rate of 7.44%. And because I have also doing another deal for a different client, very similar amounts, um, another bank were offering 6.22. So I went back to the bank offering 7.44 and I said, hey, look, I know this is an existing client and we're probably not going to move, but Westpac have just given us this offer for a different bank, for a different client, similar deal. You guys need to sharpen your pencil. And they've come back this afternoon with 70 points difference. and if the client, if I, if the client had just gone in and asked for that loan, they would have had to pay the seven point four four because they didn't know any better. But we bring that competitive competition now, um, forced to bear for the bank, where if they want this deal, because we know what's being paid in the market, because I see offers from all different banks. If they want to play with us and our clients, then they need to be competitive, and so we bring that force to bear with them. And I'm very, I have a great relationship with the banks and the bankers. I actively want to do. Build, do business with them. Um, so, yeah, it's in my best interest to get my clients the best deal and I take the bank on that journey with us. Yeah, it's a, quite a unique position, I suppose, taking a peek behind the curtains for the producers and allowing um, that sort of conversation to fly. Um, yeah. For them, and that difference, 70 points, could make a lot over the loan as well. Oh, it's massive. Um and the the doll, even if the dollar value isn't huge because the loan's not huge, it's the principle of it. You know, it's the come on, these are existing clients. You need to do better. You should be offering them the best rate the first go. I shouldn't have to come back. Um, so yeah, it's it's having someone in your corner that can fight that fight for you when you need them to, but also have that real conversation with you about this deal's no good. They're not going to say yes, or you know, you might have to pay for some valuations up front. Um, because it will get us a better interest rate down the track or it means we won't need a stock mortgage. So there's that, that um, we're sort of on both sides to it, but we're certainly in the producer's corner. Like we work for them. Um, that, is our, that is our mandate and we're regulated by the government to do that. 
Absolutely. I've got a few questions running through my mind at the moment. We've like loyalty within Australian agriculture to our suppliers, to our banks, to our accountants um, is usually quite high, I'd imagine, compared to different industries. How have you sort of seen that? Like it's great to be loyal, but to a point where you may be not getting the best sort of rate, but you just sort of find it a bit easier to, I'll oh, just stay with them rather than going through this whole process. Um, yeah. Yeah. Jack, there's certainly a loyalty tax. So, and I did a Money Monday. I have a do an episode every Monday Monday on social media. It goes for two minutes. And I did a one on um, who's getting the best deals. And whether you're buying a house or you're buying a farm, if you are a new client to a bank, and it doesn't matter what bank it is, they are offering the best rates to new clients, hands down. Uh, and I often see this with home loans. People say, I've been with CBA for five years and they're offering the new bloke a better rate than me. I'm like, of course they are that you're not going to move too hard, that they know that there's this period where it's too exhausting for you to move, you're too busy, and so they'll always allow your rate to creep up. Um, so often that there is that loyalty tax, and that's what we, you're right, we are a very, in agriculture, we are very loyal, and I've got, I've got clients when I worked at Westpac that were some of the first clients that Westpac ever had in this country, you know, and they are rusted on and they're never going to move. Um, but... There are those, I guess, next generation of farmers that are saying, hang on, we have to pay a lot for this land. I need to save every dollar I can and therefore I'm willing to move banks. I don't move my clients' banks all the time. Like once they've moved banks once with us, they generally don't have to move again because we do an annual review. The bank does an annual review on our clients and we do an annual review on the bank. Okay, what's the best rate you can give us? Last year, you gave us a 1% margin. Is the client's you know, assets have increased, they've paid back some debt. Is 1% still the best you can do? Because I know the bank down the street would probably do 0.9. So let's have a talk about that. So we don't move frequently. Um, we just put the pressure on once we have moved to make sure that those margins stay low. Um, and banks are always, every bank has a different fee structure. There's line fees, there's unused limit fees, there's annual fees monthly fees, there's margin. And so we take all that confusion out and we work out apples versus apples, what it's actually going to cost you over the time of the loan or the, the year um, so that you can actually make an informed decision about what is cheaper. Um, and cheaper isn't always the best. You know, there will be banks that will be like, I'm going to charge you more, but I'm going to give you more. You know, they might have less reviews. They might have less fees. They might have... Um, a longer interest-only period. They might give us more money than what we, you know, another bank will. So it isn't all about interest rate, but it is. Interest rate does play a large part in it, and the newest clients are always getting the best rates. Well, yeah, it's a little bit like employees. Like if a colleague moves jobs, you're more likely to get fifteen percent. This is a, a chart I saw the other yeah. day. In three years of one person not moving jobs, they went up with the index of 3% and then the other person got like a 45% raise with 15% each. each yeah. They sort of kept not advertising for people in ag to swap your job every year. Um, but it's quite similar to what that is and getting the most out of it. You always see new clients only on like your phone plans to the banks, open yeah. savings account um, and everything. And then that's a bit of a kick in the leg for anyone that's existing. Yeah. So it's just about having someone on your team to do that heavy lifting for you so that those rates over the course of five years yep. are still competitive. And you mentioned before about cash flows, checking them in 90 days. Is that 
like recommended time frame you think to recash mm-hmm. on that? Yeah, look, um, I love a cash flow. So look, I, I actually have my own personal business cash flow on my computer the whole time because deals come in and out of my pipeline and things change. I don't recommend that primary producers do that. I love an end of month check-in. Are we where we thought we were going to be? And what does the season look like for the next 12 months? 90 days is so clear to me because you're pretty sure what you've got in the paddock, you're probably going to get in. Um, You know, that's generally not too far out because a lot of primary producers say to me, Alyssa, I don't know what's going to happen in 12 months. I I don't want to commit to a cash flow and it doesn't come off and then I'm in trouble. And I say, yes, but the bank wants to see a 12-month cash flow on our best guess. But what's really critical to me is the next 90, 90 to sort of um, 180 days. So we've got some idea of what this actually looks like because so many um, primary producers are just like, yep, no, it's in my head. I've got this. But as banks become more sophisticated and lenders, are, they're lending more and more money to buy properties, they need a cash flow because the historical data doesn't show that you can afford to buy the next place. They need a cash flow to say, yes, if everything goes roughly to plan, based on averages, we should be right to be able to pay this debt off over the course of X amount of years. So it's quite seasonal within agriculture, obviously. And getting that 12 months sort of gets the average across that, and that's what the banks are looking for, to what they can actually do across the whole year. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, and they like to do it on financial years because your financials are on financial years. So they like to be able to marry those up. And I always say to a client, I always, when we're doing the cash flow, we have a look at what your financials also say. Because if you tell me you're only going to spend um, $30,000 on, um, I don't know, fodder, and the last four years you've spent $80,000 every year, well, what's going to happen to bring that down to 30? So let's try and make the cash flow as realistic as possible because you're only kidding yourself if if you haven't got, you know, the right information in there. Yeah, and playing it a bit conservative as well. But you've got to be careful with being too conservative. So primary producers are very conservative by nature. So they put in what they expect, what they should get, and then they knock it back. And if you keep knocking it back, the bank also knocks it back. You know, they do some stress testing on it. So you just got to be mindful that there's a fine balance there between, you know, um, you know, maybe take a five-year average of what you've got per kilo or um, per bale, that kind of thing, rather than just being... um, you know, have some level of science behind it rather than just being really conservative because then the bank comes along and puts their ruler over it and then says, no, you can't borrow it. And you think, well, why not? My neighbour is. And that's probably because he's not being as tough on his cash flow. Beautiful. And like as a farmer, I got this question off your website, actually. As a farmer with like aggressive growth goals, what will you be looking at as like a probably a younger couple or younger individual um, looking to get into the game or even experience. Yeah. So I, if you, if you're not marrying into it or be inheriting the farm and the debt that goes with that, no one should assume that when you inherit a farm that you don't get the debt that goes with it. That's intergenerational. But what I would say is that if you're coming from the industry outside or you you, you want to get in and don't have that leg in already, then you need to have strong off farm income because a bank wants. To have something that they can hang their head on because we all know that um, farming is uh, an up and down game and you need to have decent equity. Equity means how much you own of the business. The more you own and the less the bank own, the more that they're going to give you. So there's around a benchmark of somewhere around 55% that banks don't really like to go under. So you own 55, they own 45. 
they like to see it up above 60. And the reason they do that is because if you have a bad season and everything gets wiped out, they've got, they can give you more money. But if your equity is too low and they already own most of the place, they can't give you any more money. They've got nowhere to go. So that's what you need to have is you need to have some um, equity. And so I say to people, that's really important. So having a relatively low debt or, you know, low, more lowly leveraged. Um, there are There is one bank that will do some stuff, some funky stuff for the next generation, and they will bring the equity right down. But you need to have a strong principal and interest um, schedule to pay that back to get them to a, a point where they're happy. Um, and that's what having that off-farm income allows for, is that it's consistent, it's not going away, whether that's a miner's wage or you work in town as a teacher, doesn't matter. Um, so that's probably if you if you are keen on doing something and you don't have any sort of skin in the game already by a family is to is to do that. Um, I think having an aggressive growth goal, like I do have a couple of youngish clients that did inherit a small block and they've really amped it up, is by um, country is really expensive to buy. That's a no-brainer. And can you just service the debt with running trade steers on it? Um, possibly. But do you need to be growing a more high value animal, whether that's some sort of stud or it's, you know, Wagyu's have been the flavour of the month for the last three to five years. I feel they're softening there for sure, along with the rest of the cattle market. Um, but if you are just going to run, you know, you're going to pay full price for a block and leverage it all the way up, then you need to either have a really strong um, business enterprise on top of that that does provide you a premium or you need to have that off-farm income to sort of help get you over that that hump. Uh, of that growth and to ensure that you're you can service that loan for sure um yep. we want to go backwards um after buying a place as a young yep. person too i'd imagine yeah absolutely um paying back principal and interest is there's a it's a it's a it's a payoff so if you're paying back principal and interest you probably don't have any capital any capital left over to put into you know if there's fences and waters or you know better genetics you want to be buying that type of thing so it's a bit of a trade-off. So I often say to a client when they first buy something, maybe go interest only for maybe two years so that you can be putting that money into those repairs and improvements that need to be done, assuming that that does need to be done on the property, and then switch over to principal and interest. Um, it's great if you can be paying off some level of principal. It might not be a lot compared to what the property costs you, but it shows the bank that you're willing to pay back principal because there are some primary producers out there that are just flat out not willing to pay back principal because it creates a tax issue for them. So um, showing that, yes, we are willing to pay back principal and, you know, we'll pay back a certain amount each month. And, yes, it might look like it's going to take us 60 years to pay off this debt, but just chipping away at it because over the five and ten years, we have this compounding effect where everything that you did ten years ago just speeds up and hits you like a bolt of lightning, whether that's good or bad. Um, so yeah, having those incremental, I just say to people when they're getting into a place, particularly if they're young, it feels like you're going nowhere for a really long time. And then all of a sudden it takes off. So just keep doing those small things consistently. Um, we'll have the most significant out, output outcome in the future. Bit of a snowball effect there. Yeah. Um, there was another one, like, do people sort of get to a certain percent of equity within the farming business especially if they've got growth on the horizon um, and then they say righto well let's go again and look for properties around to expand or look for off farm income once you get off to that is that discussions taking place as well yeah they do um i think a lot of people that want to buy rural property at the moment 
have said, one, it's too expensive and two, I can't find the staff for it. So they might have capacity to buy something, but they can't stomach paying the price that they need to. And they also say that the first thing I say to people is you want to buy another place. Do you have the capacity to double your workload? And they're like, actually, I don't. And I don't want to. So there's a few of those questions that I ask um, first. Um, but yeah, so they, um, I think I've just lost your question there, Jack. Can you ask me again? So if they're looking. Um, oh, equity numbers. Equity numbers. Like they sort of, you set a level of, I want 80% equity and then that's my level to shop around, have a look. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, look, I think there's a lot of equity on people's balance sheets at the moment uh, because property prices have done so well and in particular if you haven't bought anything and you've just ridden the market up. There's this thing where we call lazy equity where you've got this, this asset that you could be leveraging against to go and do something. And whilst a lot of people aren't doing, aren't buying rural properties because of the cost and they're, they're they have been relatively rare to buy. People are investing, okay, well, we've got children that we need to, um, you know, set up in town. So let's buy a house in the city or let's buy a couple of commercial industrial sheds so that when we get when we hand over the farm, we've got a passive income. And that is a great opportunity for people to use that equity in a different way that's not creating them more work because they don't have to go and work it. It's just passive. And if they get the right people in their team, like a commercial buyer's agent and their broker, they can then, you know, set themselves up with some assets that are diversified and not so reliant on the weather and the seasons. Or farm investments, that would be opening up a new loan for yep. that. It's not just sort of overdrawing on the other one. Yeah, certainly. Often we do what's called an SPV, special purpose vehicle. So if a, if a farmer comes to me and says, I want to buy a commercial shed, in Brisbane, I say to them, let's talk to your accountant, but generally we'll set up a whole separate entity that will buy that particular asset. We do a whole new loan, it, generally with the same bank. Um, yes, very separate to what they've already got. There's a lot of structures that come into it to have a think about to see what will best sort of work for um, the individual at the time. Absolutely. Structures are critical and it's you always have to get your structures right before you sign a contract. So your accountant and your finance broker are definitely the best place to start. Close my mind that we never learned that stuff in school. But I know. That's another conversation. For farmers, what's three things that we should start to think about to get better finance from banks? Like, is there three things before we talk to you or before we talk to a bank that we should actually have dialed in our cash flow is that one? Yep. Others? So I think there's um, having your information updated, right? So just being having your whether it's your your 23 financials done, you know your taxes are up. So that that is a basic having your financials etc. Ready. Um, when we go to negotiate with the bank, you need to be able to justify your cash flow. Like this is our cash flow, and this is how we're going to do it, and this is you know what we're selling and what we're planting and all of those types of things. So having a cash flow that's up to date, and that's um, that's that that looks a bit like your financials, as I said before. You don't want expenses that are so low compared to last year's, and making sure your ATO debt is up to date. Like a bank just will not negotiate, won't approve, do anything if you've got ATO debt. Um, so I don't see a lot of farmers. It's mostly commercial businesses that I see with ATO debt, but don't have ATO debt because that's just a a, a no brainer. You may, if you think that it's worth it, you may want to get your properties valued and pay the cost to do that, to then be able to go and negotiate with the bank. Now, that's a bit of a tricky process. It's not just go and get them valued. 
you've got to have them, you know, mortgage their value for mortgage purposes and all of that kind of thing. But that if you've got a big enough debt and you can get your interest rate down by half a percent, that will save you, you know, the cost to do the valuation will be less than what it will save you when you look at that over a compounding effect um, over 10 years if you can get an interest rate reduction by half a percent because your values have improved so much. And the reason that's important to the bank is it basically means that their security position is now better and that the risk of you defaulting on that loan reduces even further and therefore their pricing can be better. So it's a whole flow on effect. And refinancing, where does that sort of fit into buying farmland or even like the serviceability of your farm currently? Does it happen often? Um, we Clients refinance if there's a reason. So either a bank has said no, um, we won't do that deal. And so they're like, well, we want you to go and find us a bank that will do it. And we we find that all the time. So a lot of people think, well, if my bank won't do the deal, no bank will. And it's incredible. I've been in this, I've been doing finance broken for around four years. It is incredible the difference in bank policies and what some banks will do and others won't. So if your bank has said no, it doesn't mean that no one will do it. That is a big one. And the other one is, we often see bank managers change. It's just in the nature that they move on and bank and, and, and primary producers get sick of explaining their story. They just want one person they can talk to over and over again and uh, and then they get a good bank manager and then the bank manager leaves and they get sick of it. So they're like, he moved and he's either left the district and we can't be with him as a bank manager. So find me a new one. Find me someone that I can talk to that I can relate to. So we do a lot of that. And pricing plays a part in that. If if a, if a new bank wants to win that client from the old bank, they're going to have to price that really sharply, which means interest rates are generally much better. So, um, yeah, that, there, there has to be a reason for a client to move because it's a job. It, it, it's For those, that person that's in the office, they've got to set up new internet banking. And we do a lot of that heavy lifting for them, but it's still, uh, there's got to be a reason to go. So coming into this episode, I thought it'd be pretty straightforward what's, happening and whatnot behind the scenes, the work that you do, but a lot of it goes, a lot goes into it, doesn't it? Into the background to optimize. We want to optimize what we do on farm, but we want to optimize our services that we rely on um, yeah. our bank loans, especially to get the most out. Um, whether you're in a good season or a bit of a drier season, the market's not looking too crash hot as well. Yeah, there is a lot that goes into it. And um, I try not to overcomplicate it. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, it, it's a lot of fun for me, which is, and it isn't for other people, which is a bit mind blowing. I'm like, oh, you don't enjoy this. And so that's why, um, you know, we've got a great team that we kind of just, we we know what we're doing. We know how to get it done. But we also recognise that this is not for everybody and they would prefer to listen to nails down a blackboard than sit down and do a cash flow. So, you know, it's that, there's that juggle um, as well. I think I know which one I'd rather hate. Yeah, I know. Um, but for yourself, what do you think the future of financing within the rural community looks like? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, so in home loans, like so the people that live in the city and they go and get a home loan, in the last 90 days, seven out of 10 people used a mortgage broker. So they're no longer asking which bank do I go to for my home loan? They're asking which broker do I go to? And the data on agri-finance is not as clear cut. We think it's somewhere around 25%. So um, around two out of every 10 are doing that. And so we see that there's a massive opportunity there or a massive change coming for primary producers that they're going to be asking, which broker do I go to, not which bank? 
it's going to be a longer a long process because we are um we're more segregated out here in the bush and we don't share that information as regularly you know people do occasionally share who they bank with and that type of thing um but to go and do something new like go to a broker is is going to be different for a lot of people and they're still learning how do we get paid and how does this work and the fact that they don't get an invoice from me, I actually get paid by the bank. So my clients don't get an invoice from me. It's quite, they don't understand that. Um, so that is a very new thing. And I think that, that um, the use of rural finance brokers will become more prevalent in the rural communities. Um, and I think people will have banks, more than one bank. In the past, we've only ever, you know, um, gosh, my dad, he still banks with the same bank for a long time, done that. But as people come new people come into the industry they're like I, I'm okay I'm going to have my equipment loans over here at Bank of Queensland and I'm going to have something over here at Westpac and I'm going to have my farm debt over here at the Commonwealth Bank and they're okay with that they want to have more than one bank involved because if this bank says no we can go over here and we can have more than one relationship so that's what I think the future of um, rural finance looks like. I was thinking this with my brother the other day being like successful or like within the financing game it does it need to look sort of messy um, to know that you're getting ahead to utilising different different banks, different structures like that? Not everything's just straight straight down the yeah. line, is it? Look, we've got clients that are set up in a partnership and it's just mum and dad and it's a partnership with all their properties are bought that way. It's all done that way. Um, and that's fine and that's easy. I guess as, they, uh, as we get more sophisticated and we get more people in the business and we've got asset protection issues and you know, partnerships that may not last the distance, then we start to see things like family trusts and companies and all these different entities and we've got different banks. And, yes, so it does look a little bit messy, for want of a better word, um, from a primary producer's point of view. I guess from our point of view, we have on our files, we've got the organisational chart, we've got everything where all the loans are. So to us, it all flows for us. Um, yeah, yeah. For... The future of financing and how that will sort of play out and anyone like looking to reach out to yourself as a finance brokerage yes so what's the best way to get in touch with you if you want to know more about what we do we are on like i'm pretty prolific on social media so we do a money monday every monday which just gives us a two-minute update on what's happening in the market so that's golden triangle agribusiness you'll find us there we've got a website um goldentriangleag.com.au um, just Google Golden Triangle and you'll find us. I think we'll be the first thing that pops up. So, yeah, we are everywhere um, because we want our clients to like, know and trust us before they come to us and they understand what it is we do um, and how we might be able to help them. So, yeah, social media is a great way to start to get to know us. And um, on our website, we also have like a page where you can just book in for a quick discovery call. It just takes 15 minutes. It's free. A lot of people just book in and say, this is where we're at. Can you offer any value? And I sort of always try and give someone one tip or one strategy to be able to walk away with that they could perhaps look at something through a new lens to maybe make some changes that will improve their business. And before you go, what would be one piece of farms advice you'd like people to take away from this podcast? Um, don't bury your head in the sand. You know, if finance doesn't have to be hard, but I know that it's not everyone's cup of tea. So bring someone in that will do that for you, that takes over that role, obviously does it with your guidance, like your approval, but can be that person in your business um, because they can make a huge difference and they can actually be the person that helps you get through that overwhelming anxiety and you realise it's actually not that bad. It's, it's having someone else on your team. Yeah, bit of eyes up footy and not looking at the ground sort of. Yeah. 
type scenario. Yeah, spot on. Beautiful. Well, Alyssa, thank you so much for coming on for this sort of financial series we're piecing together. I thought there's been a lot of reach out um, to get more financial episodes on. So I hope this suffices people listening in. And you're the first brokerage I've had on the podcast and a great way to sort of get into it and offer more content to those that are rural and they can't always hear what their neighbor's doing or not always neighbors want to speak about what or who they bank with. Um, so it's pretty important to get this content out there. Jack, thanks so much for having me on. As my first pod, uh, first podcast, this was pretty good. So thank you. I really appreciate it. Hopefully this episode allows you to look at different ways of doing things. Uh, if you're looking to scale out, you're looking to buy a farm, succession, how that plays a role in your financing, the different structures and how that can work. These are really good eye-openers for you to take these discussion points to the family board if you've got one or to the family table um, before you go and talk to your advisors uh, to get the most out of your farm, but out of your life as well so that we can have that special sort of time back in our pockets for us and one day you can actually get that holiday you've always wanted. That is what the podcast is all about. Um, The late nights to get this show on the road. So, Make sure you're supporting us by subscribing to the podcast. And if you like this episode, make sure you share it with a mate and or your family that will get something out of this. You never know what people do know um, until you pass it on and they may even thank you for it. So I'm thanking you. Thanks for coming on and listening to the Farmswise podcast. Until then, see you next Tuesday.